You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We're in this series, Be a Disciple, Make a Disciple. And we named it that because if you're going to be a disciple, eventually, guess what you're going to do? You're going to make a disciple. And we uh, are passionate about that um, as a church. Uh, I've told you guys before, but I have been a part of so many baptisms. And those baptisms represented people coming to Christ, marriages forever changed, families forever changed, people's eternities forever changed, but the life here on earth forever changed. And, and that's why we do what we do. I want to remind you of what, what we even, like, what's our definition of what it means to be a disciple? You might remember what verse we pulled this from, our definition. It's Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19. You, you might see it on our webpage, by the way. Um, but the three things that we believe a disciple does is they follow Jesus. They are being changed by Jesus. And they are on mission with Jesus. There's a whole lot of Jesus in there. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, I don't want you to know about Jesus. I want you to actually experience Jesus. I want you to experience his goodness. I want you to experience his voice. I want you to experience his calling, his direction, because I believe that's the kind of life that we're called to. And in this series, we keep talking about my part and God's part and, and their part, whoever, whoever I'm discipling. And, and we want to kind of separate that out a little bit because sometimes as Christians, we try to do everybody's part, right? We try to do all the convicting when that's the Holy Spirit's job. Um, we try to make all the decisions for the disciple that we're making, but they should still be autonomous, like they should be making their own decisions, right? And, and if we're doing everybody else's job except for our own, I think we're going to wear ourselves out. So we, we talk about, hey, this is, this is our part, but this is, this is God's part. And oh, by the way, this is that person's part. And, and let's understand those parts and pieces. And in this series, we're talking about spiritual growth. And let's, uh, let's take a look at this next slide. Uh, so this slide represents a, a couple different concepts. First of all, we understand that physically, we mature from infancy to parenthood. Like there's, you don't get to jump from infant to young adult. That doesn't happen other than in the movies, right? We start out as infants, and then we become children, and then we become young adults, and then we become parents. And we see in the scriptures that that idea, that concept, that happens the same way spiritually, that, that someone is brand new to Christ, we shouldn't put them in charge of the church because they're infants. 
just like we don't hand the keys of the bus to the infant, all right? But how do we help someone grow? How do we help someone mature? Well, this graph also says that we need to share things with them. We need to connect them to some things. We need to train them on some things. And then we need to release them to do some things. And we're taking component by component by component, but you know, when someone first comes to Christ, there's a whole lot that they don't know, just like an infant doesn't know, right? You ever see an infant grab something, you're like, no, 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 put that down, right? Don't, don't touch that. It's the same. You know, they start getting a little bit mobile, and that's when it's really kind of scary and fun all at the same time. And then they start toddling around, and that's, whoo. It's the same thing. We have to share new truths with someone who's brand new in Christ because they don't even know what they don't even know. That's, that's just where we all started. I actually spent a bunch of years as a spiritual infant. I came to Christ at age six, but I was in my 20s before someone ever started investing in me, before I ever started to mature. How many people have you known that were in the church a long time, but no one ever took the time to invest in them? And you're looking and going, man, why don't they grow up a little bit? Well, if we birthed a child and set him out here on the floor and walked away and five years later came back to the child, would we ever go, why have you not matured? No, we blame the parents, right? It's the same thing spiritually. If we don't invest in people, if we don't make that investment, how do we expect them to mature? Ephesians 4 says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul says, we all have a part to play in seeing the body of Christ mature. We all have a part to play in seeing people that are coming into the body of Christ, seeing them mature. If we do our part, if we do our part. Another way of looking at this uh, is this next graph. Um, and I thought about this as I was standing in the back, but um, Jesus was asked this question, what's the greatest commandment, right? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that's, that's this access right here. We should be growing in our ability to love God. We should be maturing in that. But Jesus said, the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so we should be growing this way as well. Now, you, I've heard some people say, hey, I love God. I love Jesus. I just can't stand people. Um, I think Jesus would say there's a problem with that. Because we're supposed to mature on both of these axes, axes, 
axes. That's, that's harder to say than I thought it would be. Axes, is it? Both of these axes, easy for me to say. We need to be growing in all this. So, you know, like I said, I, um, I was spiritually immature and I was creating havoc wherever I went into my 19, 20, 21, like I was just causing problems. And I remember the Lord spoke to my heart and, and I only have a few of these experiences where God's like, hey, Rob. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, yes, Lord. You know, and, and like I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard it in my heart. And what he told me, he says, Rob, if you don't, turn around, if you don't repent, if you don't get on the right path, I'm going to bring you home. Oh, that's quite the message. I, I didn't feel condemned. I wasn't scared, but I knew that God was serious, that he loved me and that he wanted the best for me and the kinds of things I was choosing to do was causing problems for everybody. Myself, my family, my friends. I was creating havoc wherever I went. People that I didn't know were talking about me. I had quite the reputation at Eastern Washington University. Um, and I didn't know what to do about it. I just knew that God was serious and I needed, I needed help. You know, Jesus talks about what he wants when it comes to seeing people grow spiritually what he wants to see, how we help people mature in Christ. And so let's look at Luke chapter 13, verses six through nine. It says, and he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in the vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. Now answer this question for me. If you plant a fruit tree, do you expect fruit to be on it? Yeah. After a certain amount of time, like that's a decent expectation. That's a healthy expectation, right? All right. So, so far, so good. And he said to the vine keeper, behold, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. So he's got some history. This isn't just a spur of the moment thing. He's been looking for fruit for three years and he's finding none. But he says this, cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Have you ever been frustrated with somebody that should be growing up, should be maturing, shouldn't be causing problems anymore, but, but they are? You've never been frustrated with anybody? No, none, none, you know. Uh, he's frustrated. He's frustrated. And he, the uh, vine keeper, the advocate in the story, answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year 
two until I dig around it and put fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So Jesus has given us a picture. He's telling us a story. It's three, three verses long. It's not a really long story. It's very simple, but it's powerful in what he's trying to communicate because he's saying, you know what? We expect fruit from people's lives. He's not talking about trees here. He's talking about people. And he's talking about people that we have history with. Uh, I think of my kids. I think of some coworkers I've had. I think of some people that I've uh, known within the church. And I and I'm, would expect there to be some fruit. I, I'd expect some things to be moving forward in a positive direction. I would see, expect to see some healthy things coming from these folks. And, and I think sometimes when there's history, that's even harder. Like if I just got to know you and, and, and you're a numbskull, I have all kinds of grace for numbskulls I just met. Can I get an amen? But when it's your brother or it's your best friend being in a numbskull or it's your neighbor for the 50th year in a row being a numbskull, like history sometimes makes it hard to be patient with a person, right? Haven't you ever been there? In this story, there, there's, there's, there's three characters. There, there's the fig tree, which is the person without the fruit. There's the owner of the vineyard, and he's the judge of this story. He says, why does it even use up the ground? Why does it even use up the ground? Like, let's just, like it's, it's wasting everybody's time. Like, <laughs> some serious words here. Uh, reminds me of a story when um, I was in the military. I was about 12 years into my career, and I went and I was trained on anti-terrorism force protection. I spent a couple weeks down in Vegas being trained, and then I came back, and I had to give this presentation to our squadron, and I had to do this two-week training in order to give this one-hour presentation. I didn't create the presentation, which made that a little harder to give, it was a ton of information that was still new to me, which made it kind of harder to give. And I bombed in my first class. I'm a tech sergeant. I present the class. My commander's in the class. And he goes to my boss and tells the captain, if he ever gives that class again, I will fire you. Why does he even use the ground? You know, that was the proclamation. I think about, um, well, let me back up. Let me say this about the judge. Sometimes the judge in our life is external to us. It was my commander. He was my judge. I've had people that I've never met before be my judge. I've had people that were once close to me 
choose to be my judge, and, and that's just the role they chose to stay in forevermore. That's been some of our experiences. But sometimes the judge that has the loudest voice of all lives inside of me. How about you? Do you live with that judge inside your heart? Do you hear judgmental thoughts about your performance, about your actions, about your failures, about your shortcomings, about how you still don't measure up? Do you live with that judge? Because that judge seems to be pretty universal, right? You know, my commander kind of reminds me of this guy in this next picture. He walked by, he saw me in the well, laying down in the well, and he just walked by and says, dude, you're in the well. He didn't want to help. He just wanted to make sure I knew that. You really kind of suck. And he pressed on. Have you ever had that guy in your life? Like, where they're making a proclamation, you're like, I already knew that I didn't do great in my presentation. Like, I already knew that was a problem. But you, you're going to tell me this and you're going to just walk away? Like, how helpful is that? And there's a number of reasons why people end up in the well in life. There's a number of reasons. Sometimes it's, it's their own mistake. It's their own choices. It's their own lack of preparation. But sometimes it's other people's mistakes. Sometimes someone pushes you in the well and they keep walking. <laughs> so sometimes it's, you know, some, like, like, do we deal with evil in the world? Do people need help sometimes because someone came along and they were just evil? Yeah, that's the case. That's the case. But sometimes we end up in the well just because the world is broken. Things are falling apart. We're part of a pandemic right now. We, I'm delivering food tonight and, and medication tomorrow to, to some friends of ours because they're in the well. Not because they made bad choices. They just live in a, in a world that has a harsh reality sometimes. And so, so we, we have this response, right? Or we have this next response, where the person's willing to jump into the well and figure out, hey, what's going on? How did you get down here? Oh, your leg's broken? I couldn't see that from up there. You couldn't climb out? I was wondering why, like it's, it's easy to get out of here, but not with a broken leg. And see, that's what the advocate's talking about. He says, let me dig around the roots Let me figure out what's really happening in this person's life. Let me figure out why this tree's not producing fruit. Let me get my hands dirty for a year so I know what's really going on. This is how Jesus says that the kingdom of God is going to move forward is if we're willing to jump in the well, if we're willing to dig around at the roots, if we're willing to get our hands dirty, 
if we're willing to partner with people, if we're willing to get up and close and personal. And so the vine dresser, he's, he's an advocate. And he's willing to dig. He's willing to find out what's real, what's true. And he's willing to take the time. He says, Let me, give me another year. And he says, I'm going to provide fertilizer. I'm going to provide fertilizer. Which, if you know who Jesus is and what he's about, this is God's word. This is God's truth. This is, this is the word of God. And when people are coming to Christ, whether they've made a decision or they haven't made a decision, but they're brand new to the faith or they're just exploring things, they need to hear new truth. They need to hear who Jesus is. Well, we share that fertilizer with them. But how we share it matters too. I used to think, you know what? My wife is really good at grace. I'm really good at truth. And this is a good marriage. This is a good, you know, we've got each other's back. Finally, God came to me and he's like, there's another one of those moments where he spoke to me. He goes, hey, Rob, did you know that Jesus is full of both grace and truth? If you're reading uh, the book of John with us in the Life Transforming Group, you, you read that this week. It comes out of John chapter 1. Jesus was full of grace and truth. In, in this whole process that this advocate takes is full of grace. So he's not just sharing new information, but it's the way he graciously engages with the person. The way he graciously says, I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to really know what their life is about. I'm going to know what their problems are about. Peter said this, as each one has received a special gift, this is the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us, employ it in serving one another as as good stewards of the manifold, of the manifold grace of God. That word in the Greek for manifold, it's, uh, it's uh, pokaloitis. Uh, it's, it's the root word or the prefix is where we get uh, the word polka dot from. It's like the multi, multicolored, the, the many different colors of God's grace. We're called to share God's grace with people. So that's our part. We need to share God's grace. We need to take time with people. We need to share new truths with them. We need to dig around. We need to be willing to get our hands dirty. God's part is he provides his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always with that person. And that's the good news because I can't be with anybody that I'm discipling. I can't be with them much more than maybe four or five hours a week. I'm just being realistic. I'm not going to give any one person more than, and I, and I do this full time. But I have a lot of different responsibilities that, that I have to take care of in the midst of that. And you do too. 
But when you disciple someone, the Holy Spirit is always at work in their lives. And it's, it's amazing to me how many times I'm thinking, man, Lord, I just want to see this person really grasp this concept or, or really know you in this, in this way. And, and I'll be praying, and I'll be praying, and I'll be praying about that situation because I see this need inside of them. And all of a sudden, God speaks to them, and they'll come to me like, bam! And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I was thinking God would tell you this much, and he tells you, what? And it's way bigger, it's way better when God speaks to people. It's way better when God's Holy Spirit convicts. It's way better when God's Spirit reveals that truth inside their heart. And then there's their part, right? What's their part? What's, if they're the fig tree, if they're down in the, in the well and we're jumping down in the well and we're with them, what does that look like? Well, they have to be willing to, to, to hear. They need to be willing to explore and, and try to understand. They need to be willing to ask questions. They need to, choose to soak it in. I remember a number of years ago, a mentor came to me and said, Rob, you're really struggling at uh, just being patient and gentle and, you know, all these things. And, and uh, like, I'm really concerned about just how you're responding in some, some situations, especially with your family. And so I started praying through 1 Corinthians 13 Every day, every day I would look at that chapter on love and I would consider like, Lord, how did I do yesterday? And I'd have these conversations with God. The person that was mentoring me, that was discipling me, he couldn't make me do that. I had to choose to take those steps. I had to do my homework as it were. Like they were like, hey, I want you to consider some things. I want you to look at some of these passages. I had to be willing to go do that work. And I mentioned that I really didn't grow and didn't mature until I was 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there. But I know what changed. Because the Lord told me at 19, Rob, you, you need to turn this around. And I was willing to. I just didn't know what it meant to turn it around. Like, I didn't know what steps to take. I was an infant. I didn't know what to do. And then my cousin came to me. God sent my cousin. And she helped me to connect to church and helped me to connect to the community. And I got into Bible studies with her. And we started having these spiritual conversations and she jumped in that well with me, but it wasn't just her because it's, look at this next picture. Because it's not really dependent on just one of us. See, Jesus always had this idea that we disciple as a community, we disciple as a group, that this isn't dependent on any one person. But each of us can do our part, as Peter says in 1 Peter and what did the small groups do for me? They loved me, they corrected me, they confronted me, they challenged me, they taught me, they supported me, they forgave me, they accepted me, they pushed me, they helped me to heal from 
my brokenness. This is what the small group did for me. One more picture for us. See, the problem is, is we're just all walking along in life. And quite honestly, we don't find people in wells very often. But we're the walking wounded. We have problems going on with our kids. We have problems going on with their health. We got, we got problems at work. We got, we got financial issues. We got uh, depression. We have anxiety. And unless we walk up and, and ask people and engage with them and, and think in terms of they could be in the wealth if I don't check them out, if I don't ask them good questions, if I don't choose to invite them into relationship. See, because all four of those people could be facing problems and how would we ever know if we never asked? How can we ever know if we didn't choose to be intentional? So we gotta invite people in, we have to ask them questions, we have to see how they're doing. But the implication is this, spiritual growth always requires an advocate, and maybe more than one advocate, maybe multiple advocates. But spiritual growth always requires an advocate who's willing to spend time to really know them, apply grace, and share new truths that will change their lives. We're not going to see people grow spiritually like, like our children. Just because they grew up in our household when we were attending church doesn't mean that they will grow and mature in Christ today without an advocate. Uh, that person that said yes to Christ, they won't necessarily grow and mature unless they have advocates in their lives that's willing to do the work, willing to get their hands dirty, willing to be grace and truth in their lives. We're passing around uh, the communion right now and I do got mine. Thank you. Um, And just know that We have an open table, which means if you're here to proclaim Jesus as Lord, then we invite you to join us in taking communion. But we'll take them together here in just a few minutes. So let's talk about some action steps. Number one, have a discipleship conversation about your own fruits. Make a smart plan to take practical steps to grow. Have a discipleship conversation about the the own fruit in your life. This is where Jesus invites us to consider the log in in our own lie. How am I doing spiritually? How are my relationships? Both with people around me, how's my relationship with God? Am I maturing? Or is there something that's getting in the way? And if you don't have an advocate, just know that we will jump in with you. If you don't have someone that's, 
that's investing in you spiritually, we will help you with that. Now, a, a smart plan uses, uses smart goals. And uh, smart goals, they're specific, they're measurable, they're, they're achievable, they're re- realistic, they're time-based. And so I, I just have an example here. So let's say you're saying, hey, I have been sensing I need a closer relationship with God. What would a smart goal look like? Well, you could choose to specifically meet with a pastor, explore ways to get closer to God. To make it measurable, you could say, I'm gonna meet with him this week. Now, is that achievable? Depends on your schedule, right? Um, is it realistic? Well, I turned in the connection card, so odds go up that that's gonna happen. And time-based, yep, got that scheduled. Or maybe you're thinking, I need to engage my life-transforming group readings more consistently. I'll set aside 20 minutes each week at 11 o'clock. Now, the measurable part is I intend to get all seven readings in this week. Is that achievable? Probably. Uh, Is it realistic? Well, I'm typically home by 10 p.m., so my 11 p.m. reading time, I think that'll work. And again, is it time-based? Well, that's this week. I wrote that one for Josh. (laughs) The 11 p.m. part. (laughs) Uh, Number two, have a discipleship conversation. Evaluate how you tend to judge or who you tend to judge. Make a smart plan to take practical steps to grow. And again, this is... is your tendency that, is it judging yourself? Is that the person that you spend most of your energy and time judging? Because if that's the case, let's, let's work through that. Let's, let's resolve that because I don't think that helps. Or is it someone that you have history with? I remember a number of years ago, um, Jacob, my oldest, I was so frustrated. He would, I would ask him, Jacob, did you finish your homework? And he'd say he did. And guess what? He didn't. What I found out years later is that Jacob had this teacher that uh, just scared the daylights out of him as a, as a third grader. If he wore a snowsuit on a snowy day, he had to wear it all day long because she would not give him the time to take it off. And if you know Jacob, he runs pretty hot. Like if you're driving down the street and you can see, like if you ever ride with Jacob in the wintertime, you'll see your breath in his car because he doesn't, he doesn't use the heater. And it was just an awful experience and, and he just, that experience with that teacher just shaped his schooling for a number of years. And I didn't know what I didn't know as dad. I didn't know what was really going on in his world to, to help him. 
And I wish I would have taken the time to figure that out. But sometimes the people that we have history with, there's some good reasons why they're doing what they're doing. And we need to figure it out. And so maybe you're thinking, I've been critical of my friend lately. Through the conversations I've had, uh, though the conversations I've had with them are necessary, I also need to call out the good in them as well. And so a specific smart goal could be this. Um, I'll think of five attributes that I really appreciate and find ways to weave those into my conversations with them. And uh, I'm gonna highlight these attributes each week for the next four weeks. Like I'm really gonna build them up. Was that realistic? Probably. I mean, I, I really like this guy, so, you know, I think we can make this work. And as a time base, yeah, over the next four weeks, I'm gonna do this. So, number three, have a discipleship conversation, evaluate where you're not applying all the tools Christ presents in this parable. Grace, truth, and time. See, I think when it comes to discipleship or when it comes to wanting people to grow up or to mature or to, or to have a different result in their life, we will apply two of the three. We'll give them a ton of grace and a ton of time, but zero truth. We'll give them a ton of time, a ton of truth, zero grace. Or maybe we give them grace and truth, but we just don't take any time with them. And we don't even know if the grace and truth that we're talking about actually meets the problem that they're facing. And so take some time this week to just consider, are you engaging in all three of these? And so... A smart goal might be this. I've shown grace and had great talks with my friends, but have not spent enough time with them. And so specifically, over the next few months, I'm going to hike with them. I'm going to try to find two Saturdays a month to hike with them so I have more relational time with them. And so I'm going to, you know, over the next six months, we'll, we'll get 12 hikes in. That's measurable. Is it achievable? It's not achievable if I don't have snowshoes, right? Not in Montana. So I might have to buy something to make this happen. Uh, is it realistic? Yeah, we're avid hikers. This is all theory-based, by the way. This isn't real. <laughs> I'm not an avid hiker. I'm not an avid hiker. But anyway, this... Guys, if we're going to help people grow spiritually, it's going to require us to be advocates who are willing to spend time to really know people, apply grace, and share new truths that will change their lives. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. 
If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.